Blog Talk Radio.
Of course, oh. the former WCW, WWE referee, uh, Tyson Dean himself, Fry Daddy, Lodi and Scotty Matthews, the golden boy Chick Donovan will be there. <laughs> yes, Chick yes. Donovan. Yes. Uh, Johnny Slaughter and numerous others. Tyler Rivera, I know I saw him doing a um, video for this. So, um, yeah, a good cause. That's March That's March 6th. And this is in conjunction with Victory Championship Wrestling, is that right? I'm sorry, that's Saturday, March 7th. Victory Championship Wrestling is listed as a yeah. sponsor of this show and some of their talent. Well, well you know, Victory, uh, Victory uh, I feel bad. Uh, Victory sent me their, like, last show and the information and the crowd they drew, and the crowd they drew was significant. Like, they are definitely mm. growing. They are definitely got their stuff together. Um, and so I wanted to put that out there that I had neglected to put in the report. Generally, if you don't get your stuff in the GWH news and notes.blogspot.com, you're probably going to escape my notice because, you know, uh, I do a lot of prep for the, um, full disclosure videos, but I don't do that much prep. You know, it's mostly like you just <laughs> going in there and let it fly. So you definitely want to get your stuff in that way, but yeah, it's a great show. Great cause. Can't wait to hear about it. I assume somebody is going to go to this thing and do a show report on it. So I'm looking forward to all of that. Yes, sir. And in related Tyson D news, he and, hmm. uh, Jeff Lewis and, uh, managed by Nikita Koloff, did appear on the first episode of Circle Square, the NWA talent search show, uh, wrestling PJ Hawks and Luke Hawks. And so they're in the running for that NWA contract. Oh, nice. PJ Hawks, of course, is the, the, the son of Luke Hawks who dives off of the freaking second floor of the mall that got so much attention. So obviously the NWA... Yeah. Uh, making it happen, man. Making it happen. No doubt about it. Yeah, and, and, you, and when I get posted right, I'll put that video up. Yeah, yeah, but yes. I, I didn't post it up. I, that's on the list of things to put on the on the site. And but yeah, I did I did look at it. Yeah, that was quite a dive. <laughs> yes, my reaction to it got <laughs> a lot of reactions itself. So I mean, that thing was it's bananas. It's bananas. Um, it takes a lot to shock me. That shocked me. I actually had a sense of vertigo on the first camera angle. My God, that yeah. actually made me, it made me feel nervous. And uh, I was like, man, that's uh, it's a hard thing to do. Hard thing to do. Larry, you wanted to talk about the WWE stock since we had talked about yeah. it quite a bit, but you wanted to kind of give us an update. Yeah. Just a quick update that the earnings came out. They weren't good. The stock... Mm. We had talked about it needing to hold $45, and in fact, while it dropped below 45 it is now fought back to almost $50, despite as you know this big swoon in the stock market this last week. That has not affected WWE stock one bit, which, bit, which says to me that basically all the bad news is now priced into WWE stock. I mean, everything that's bad is out there, and this company is going to continue to make a shitload of money. And it's probably, I, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I bought a share of WWE stock. Uh, my ah. kid has been on this thing of like, you know, picking stocks in class and all that stuff. And so we picked up the WWE stock uh, right at the $40 mark. So uh, oh, I told her, you like, bought it at 40 
Yeah. So I was I was telling my kids she's probably gonna win because they're I think they were gonna assess for three months and whoever picked the stock that had the biggest gains percentage wise and sheer dollar wise they get a prize and all that stuff. So hey, that's she's that's that's a quick fifteen percent gain to close today at over forty eight dollars. Yeah. So and now <laughs> she's gonna become that obsessed person she already is because you know the, nowadays with phones and things like that she's. <laughs> she watches every three penny rise and fall and sends me a text about it, which is hysterical. Oh well, <laughs> what is that? She's she's off to a great stock at a start as a stock trader. So yeah, I would that's I would say you can you can hold WWE stock with with a stop at forty dollars. I mean, um, yeah, it's it's probably okay to to own as a stock at this point. It's it's just been beaten to death, you know. So that's yep. that's the news on WWE stock. We'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I mean they're going to continue to make a lot, a lot of money. I don't see how they could not. No, um, speaking of things I mean, that got a reaction. Oh, yeah. Speaking mm-hmm. of things that got a reaction, the video you did about AEW in the AEW show in Atlanta yeah. got a lot of reaction uh, from people on the um, Facebook page. A lot of reads, a, a lot of shares. Um, so. I thought just thought that was really interesting that it's a show that the boys can get behind. It's and it's one of the only shows that I watch now. That and MLW. I mean, I watch AEW. I enjoy it. I just want to see what they're going to do every week. And like you said, you know, they're do they're 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 making mistakes, but there's there's something that I really really that's compelling about about that show to me. I you know I thought I I've been listening to Jim Cornette talk about segments of the show and even Jim Cornette has had to backtrack on things he said his sort of initial reaction like the Cody Rhodes match he goes like oh, you know they did the wrong finish and now he's saying oh but the more I think about it, maybe they did the right and I think that's a sign of you're moving in the right direction because a lot of people their first instinct is to crap on AEW but I think when you look at things in a longer term, it's like, no, it's just, they're not going totally conventional with anything. And so your first reaction is going to be negative because it's unfamiliar. But the more you kind of look at it, the more you go like, Oh man, I mean, they're doing something right now, which is very impressive to me, which is they're making stars. Now, a lot of the people who have gotten negative attention they may, I mean, Marco Stunt, they're never going to make a star out of that guy, I don't think. But will Jungle Boy be a star? I think there's a good chance. Um, Me too. You know, will the, the bodyguard of MJF be a star? I think so. I mean, I don't know anybody who had a better week with a loss hung on them that still managed to just seem like an absolute monster. Now, they may screw the pooch, but... AEW, to me, gets the benefit, they've earned themselves the benefit of the doubt in a way that the WWE honestly has not. Is there anybody who thinks Goldberg versus Bray Wyatt isn't going to be a clusterfuck? Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, you hear that the, thing and you just go like, Ugh. Just yeah. the fact they go out and do promos that are not scripted makes me interested and makes me want to watch. That alone, I mean, the, the the WWE promos are just death to me. I just have no interest. I had I had Braun last night in the background, but there was very little of it. I I couldn't tell you much of what happened on that show. It was on the screen, but I <laughs> I can't say I was really watching it. <laughs> I think I think AEW right now they're benefiting from like not only do the promos have a much more spontaneous feel, 
I think even spots they do within matches have a much more there's guys making choices on the spot and you can tell they're making those choices on the spot. And even if they're not making them on the spot, it seems like they're making them on the spot, which gives it a much more kind of like, it gives it a much more raucous feel. I mean, here's a, here's a kind of a minor example. So, you know, MJF gets like Brandy Rose grabs that chair and hits him with it. And the choice that he makes is to no sell the chair shot, which I loved, you know, mm-hmm. um, he no sells that chair shot. And then Arn dumps him over the rail, which really does nothing. I mean, it gets them the pop. It has Brandy Rose logically trying to do something to him, but he no sells that chair shot as he should, because that establishes something. And uh, I, I loved it. And I was like, they would have never done this spot in WWE for any number of reasons. And most heels would not have made the choice that MJF made. And so I, I just love it. I just, I just love what they're going to do. Now, are they going to fail? Yes. And when they fail, they're going to fail spectacularly. But it won't be boring. And that's the, that's the kind of stench and smell that hangs over a lot of WWE stuff in particular, which is, I don't know, I'm kind of bored. <laughs> I mean, how many people do I see who are like, I fell asleep during Raw? I mean, nobody's yeah. nobody's saying I fell asleep during <laughs> freaking AEW at the no. very least. You know, no. I, I so. mean, I'll tell you the acid. The acid test for me is that my wife will actually stop and sit down and watch some of AEW, and they got to be doing something right if she'll look at it because she just doesn't have much interest in t- modern wrestling. But she finds some of what goes on there pretty interesting. She likes Jungle Boy. You know, she enjoys. She, she likes that jungle boy. She likes MJF. You know, so, mm-hmm. so maybe they maybe they have some some hope of of grabbing some lapsed fans with that show. We'll we'll see. You know, hey, you know, uh, one other thing before we bring Huck on um, next or in a couple weeks down the road is going to be the speech show. And I don't know if you've gotten any requests to be on the speech show, but I've gotten one, and he's one of your former uh, guys from PCW. Uh, Eric oh. Walker wants to, wants in on the speeches. Oh shit! That guy, boy, you want to talk about somebody who's making it happen right now? Somebody who reinvented himself? It's that guy. All over. All the over. Place. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Uh, okay. Very interesting and very smart, very smart guy. Um, so I'm curious to hear him. That's for sure. But yeah, get those in. I mean, you know. Uh, we're gonna have Huck on in just a moment, but get your get your two minutes, get your time slot, get in there. I'm glad somebody broke the ice. Now the ice is broken. Um, you know, last time, as many people as we did have, we were missing some of the most opinionated people. Um, you know, here's I'll just call out guys that I would love to hear do something. I would love to see Tommy Pitts do something. Oh, um, I, yeah. You know, that's a voice. Uh, I, I was recently reminded of that because Pro Wrestling Circuit, you know, they got a show in March. And we haven't mm-hmm. had a show from them in a, quite some time, it feels like. And it's I true. want him to come out and, and say, you know, he's a guy who's never been shy about opinions, always out there. Oh, here's his chance. Two minutes. What do you want to talk about? I want to hear it. So, and, and there's other people like that too, but Tommy Pitts is somebody who immediately came to mind as somebody who hasn't really participated in these kind of things. And I think I would love to hear his voice. 
Get him it in. would be a different voice, know. that's for sure. Something mm-hmm. different. And speaking mm-hmm. of people that are not afraid to speak their mind and share an opinion. Oh, boy. Yeah, let's bring him on. I mean, it's hard. For, I'm hard-pressed to think of anybody who's having a better year in Georgia wrestling than this guy. The incredible Huck himself, William Huckabee, is joining the tipping point. Welcome to the show, sir. What's up, man? Can you guys hear me? Oh, yeah, we yeah. can hear you. Oh, I, now, first of all, I, I like how it was stated and stuff uh, on Rob Rod's status that, you know, uh, what better guest to have on Fat Tuesday than, than Will Huckabee. Right after, right after Platinum calls me fat in his video. That's not cool. That's not cool. But I can't cool hear... Huck, let me ask you right off the bat, because at one point you had gotten into... See, this is going to be hard question time. At one point you had gotten in phenomenal shape, right? Mm-hmm. And and then you put the gut back on. But I got to say, when you put the gut back on, man, you were just... Uh, you've become this kind of... Not kind of. You've become perhaps the most compelling figure in Georgia wrestling. How the fuck did you do that? Um, How the fuck did well, you do that? Well, well, first of all, it's like when I was in really good shape, and I, and I will give him credit, uh, I was living like within a mile of Joe Black. So we was working out twice a day. Uh, I was eating right. Uh, and, and I'll admit, I, I, I like a lot of people, I'll admit that I was on the gas. Um, but even with being on the gas and stuff, you still have to go to the gym and you still got to put those reps in. So I got in phenomenally great shape. And then, uh, like, Joe moved to Atlanta, and, and I was still in the gym. Uh, but if, if people follow me on social media and they know, like, within, like, the last two years, uh, me and my family, like, we, we lost everything. We went through a hurricane. We lost everything. Yeah, we man. to Atlanta. So it's just been um, – Trying to to get back into the swing of things. Now, don't get me wrong. I still I think I'm in better shape now because I do yoga in the morning. I do some resistance band training and stuff. Um, oh. I I do a lot more cardio than I used to ever do. Um, so and plus, really, we hear it all the time that uh, pro wrestling is for everybody, and, and pro wrestling is a reflection of the society, basically. Uh, and when I was mm-hmm. growing up, all, none of my favorite wrestlers, none of my top three favorite wrestlers had abs. All of my favorite wrestlers uh, all looked like truck drivers who would just beat the shit out of you in the bar if you crossed them the wrong way. You know, uh, Ray Stevens, Arn Anderson, uh, Coco Beware when he was in Memphis. Like, none of those guys had abs, but they were all legit tough guys. You know what I described you as recently to somebody else? And this may offend you, or you may take it as the ultimate compliment, which is how I meant it, if I'm going to defend myself already, is to me, you know, when they used to have those tough man contests, mm-hmm. you look like the guy that would have whipped everybody's ass in, a, in, in those tough man fights. You know, when it just yeah. came down to, had nothing to do with technique, had nothing to do with nothing. It just had to do with who was the bravest, who swung the fastest, and who just wouldn't fucking give up? Who wouldn't yeah, blink? Know. I mean, I always say William Huckabee is the guy that doesn't blink. That's, that's his gimmick in a nutshell. <laughs> that, like, it's like, I'm in your face. I'm talking my shit. You're talking your shit. I mean, you and Joe going back and forth was so brutal. So brutal. And I mean, I think like Logan and, you know, um, Logan and Gunnar Miller have their sort of homogenized white guy version, 
right? But it's like you and yeah. Joe, it just felt very real. Very the, real. The Gunner, Gunner and Logan Creed got the, you know, the raisins in a potato salad gimmick going on. On the next chat with Gunner, raisins and potato salad. They took out potato salad and put raisins and carrots and Brussels sprouts in it, you know. Um, mm. <laughs> fucking Brussels sprouts. Um, um, okay, Huck, I'm going to put this on you. Okay. So I saw, was it Hensley's post? I'm trying to remember it. I should have went and found it. Where he was yeah, talking about, uh, was it about giving credit or showing gratitude? I'm, I don't know Both if you can them. explain it better than I yeah. did. It was, uh, it was under his Know It All uh, Facebook or whatever, Facebook persona and stuff where he was like, in a nutshell, he's basically like he he looks for guys to be appreciative and to be grateful for bookings and stuff. While on the same hand, he's not appreciative or grateful for guys accepting the bookings. And I'm like, oh, so you want guys to be appreciative and like basically cow time, like, oh, thank you, Mr. Hensley, for giving me this booking. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, that's right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not appreciative for the guys who come in and work for you. Mm. And, and I, was, me, um, I think. I, I, I was talking yeah. to Todd Sexton about this at Anarchy. Like, the good thing about being almost 15 years in business and being 40 years old is that, Jer, I don't give a shit neither. It's full now. So it's like I don't do stuff that I don't want to do. I don't work for companies that I don't want to work for. Uh, and I don't. And I think that Scott Hensley and the powers that be and, and his little circle, and I'm not going to say all of them. I'm just, gonna, I'm just, you know, judging by that post. Um they don't understand that there are guys out there who are really good, who are like, I don't want to work for you. I don't have to. I'm not, I'm not going to enjoy it. So to hell with you. Like, you can't make, like your company's not going to make or break you. If you're not grateful for me putting my body on the line, then why should I even talk to you? I was curious when he stated that, if that was him just being, like, that was his version of being humble. And this is not me defending him. In fact, I think it's kind of sneaky. I think it was his way of going, I know I should be more grateful and I've, you know, I've come in short of that. And the, but the fact you called him out the way you did immediately put him in this spot of, so were you bullshitting to seem more humble? Or are you really a person who's not grateful to the guys who put their bodies on the line where, you know, it's one of the, it's an attack that, that gets leveled at Larry, right? You've never yeah. taken a bump, so how can you talk about this shit? And, you know, this is something that people try to level at me, which just seems completely fucking asinine. <laughs> like, it's like, no, I fucking, I took more bumps after I stopped actively wrestling that were just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than what I did when I, I did wrestle. I'm going to tell you what, I hate when people say that, when people are like, oh, well, you haven't taken a bump, so you don't know what it's like. And it's like, and, and my response to them is, well, I've never played in the NFL, but I can tell you Chicago has a shitty kicker. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I can look at that Wilder and Tyson Fury fight and say, hey, Dante, Deontay Wilder, while he may be a great power puncher, he's a horrible boxer. Like, he can, he, can, he can throw a punch, but he can't box. He knows nothing about the sweet science. Here's, here's, when, here's when the criticism of Larry's never taken a bump is valid. If Larry ever stated... Man, that fucking bump that that one guy took was a fucking pussy bump. He pussied out of that bump, and there's it's no. unforgivable. No, right? Really. No, that's that's no. when you can go like, oh, he never took a bump. Like, no. No, how how dare he? But as no, far as because, a performance no, aspect, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that, Larry, because 
every Sunday you see people in the fall, they're screwed to their TVs at some receiver or some running back or some quarterback who instead of, you know, trying to truck over somebody in a game, they decide to, you know, go out to the sideline or they fly. They're like, oh, man, you should have went for that extra yard. You couldn't make the first down, you punk ass. So, no, people do whatever. I, I, I would never see that to Larry. You're right about that. You're right about that. He's, in, he's entitled to his opinion. If he sees somebody that takes a bump, and he knows what a bump is supposed to look like, and they kind of BS their way through it, then, yeah, call him out on it. Hey, Hot. I mean, Larry said that he's going to chime in very little, though I hope he <clears throat> does later on. But um, that's why I'm talking so much. But um, <clears throat> Are you scared, Larry? Is Larry scared? No, no, I'm just pissed off. I'm in a bad mood. That's all. It's not. It's not. It's nothing about. It's nothing about you. But I do have a. I, Steve, I do have a question I want to throw in. Please. Okay. Um, I know you've been making some uh, ventures up to um, Pro South, and yes. I've got a soft spot in my heart for Pro South. I'm just curious what has gotten you interested in Pro South and going and working at Pro South? Because like you said, you do what you want to do. You don't have to work for anybody you don't want to work for. Um, what's got you interested up there? Well, I think the, the, the best way I can explain that, Larry, because uh, I was actually thinking about that while listening to you guys talk before you brought me on. Uh, I love to teach, and I think that one of the things that my generation of wrestling, guys who are 15 to 20 years in, something that we forget is that 15 years ago when we broke into the business, all the guys who were in the attitude era, they kind of left us to our own devices, and we had to learn on the job, basically. Uh, it's not like today where it's like, hey, kids, get in the car. Hey, I want you guys to get in the car. Let me show you this stuff. It was not like that 14, 15 years ago, at least where, I, at least where I'm from in North Carolina. Mm. Uh, so at Post South, I love working with the young talent. It, it, I feel that when we get sick, guys in my 14, 15, 20 years in, we get so caught up on getting signed, getting signed, getting signed, that we forget about the guys who are coming after us, and we forget to teach and to give, and to give back, and we forget to put some guys over. Uh, something that me and Matt Hankins was talking about was like, and, and I'm about to piss some people off. Are y'all ready for this? Here it goes. Bing, yes, sir. I'm going to piss people off. Um, if you say that the best wrestlers in Georgia, the top, your top five favorite or best wrestlers in Georgia, does not include Saul Ronaldo, Saul and Shane Marks, you're a fucking idiot. Uh, because those guys can have a great match with anybody regardless of skill level. And that's how I equate whether somebody's a great worker. The problem is, is that me and Matt Hankins was talking about it and the fact that the generation before Shane Marks uh, never really put him over and gave them his stamp of approval. So what happens now is because the guys in that generation didn't get a stamp of approval from the generation before them, the, it skipped the, the the eyesight of the business, especially Georgia Wrestling, has skipped that generation and has gone to the AC Max, the David Ali's, and the Owen the Owen Knights and the Danny Jordans, and we forget about the generation of wrestlers before them who are still on the who are still wrestling actively, um, and in my opinion, is way better than any of those guys. Uh, so what I like to do a pro stop is go back and give back to those guys is to say, hey, just because you see me at Southern Honor or you see me wrestling in Jersey or Tennessee or West Virginia or wherever the place may be, I'm not so important that I can't come back and show you guys what I've learned. Like, I don't know everything, but what I do know, I'm willing to tell you. Holy crap. Never thought of it that way. It's absolutely right. And it explains, I, I now see it in myself, like, that's why 
I mean, I remember putting Sal in the top 10 and immediately a bunch of people, he was the number one guy that people were like, what the fuck is Sal? I don't even know who Sal is. And I said, well, there you go. Right. You don't know. And it explains why I'm such a slim J advocate who doesn't need me to advocate for him, but I consider him like, shit, Slim's better than all these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Like, he's exactly. like, he's like the king of the spot is- monkeys who can also tell a story and who does all the basics incredibly well. Now, he's the ideal. Right now, can you tell me right now, Jay Fuhrer, if he was wrestling in 2020, wouldn't be one of the best wrestlers in the East Coast. Yeah. Hands yeah. down. There, there, would be, there would be very few guys that could add. If you really want to, even with Shane Marks, if Shane Marks wanted to go 100 percent, there are less than ten people in the state that could keep up with him. Mm-hmm. I sat, I sat there at Platinum Championship Wrestling and saw him go sixty minutes with Jeter, and told the story. It was probably one of my favorite Iron Man matches of all time, and the only people that's ever seen it was like the hundred people that were in the building. Like, yeah. how hard is it to go sixty minutes? And these guys are here thumping their chest like, oh, I had a great match with such with my buddy. And it's like, yeah, you had a great match with your buddy because y'all wrestled all the damn time. Can you have a great match with this kid who got six months of business and had like three matches? Can you get the same quality of match? If not, sit in the corner and shut up. Shane Marks, by the way, the year before that, wrestled Fred Yehi for an hour. And the year before that, wrestled John Williams of the Washington Bullets. For an hour. <laughs> exactly. He owes me a he owes yep. me a sixty minute match. Damn it. Mm. Oh, I like to but see no, that. But get back. But, but get back to post office. Like post office is a it's a yeah. great place to learn. And I think that uh, and being a veteran, so uh, being a veteran, so that's what everybody's calling me now. Something that a lot of these young kids are missing is that they don't know how to work the hard cam. They don't realize that everybody wants to be Finn Balor and everybody wants to be Cedric and stuff like that, but they don't realize. Finn Balor was in NXT as long as he was because he didn't know how to work the hard cam. If you know how to work mm. it, and something I've learned uh, working for Tony Gibbons at Innovate Wrestling was if you know how to work the hard cam, it's more likely that your stuff on a show will make it to TV faster than anybody else's because they have to do less editing. And I think at Pro South, you have a great environment where guys can learn how to work the hard cam. It's a smaller crowd, so you can, you can experiment with different gimmicks. You can experiment with moves. But at the same time, your stuff is out there easily to be seen afterwards and reviewed. Uh, and, and, and in my opinion, and, I, and once again, I was talking to somebody about this. I actually, I was talking to Izzy at, at Anarchy. Um, if I ran a training school right now in Georgia, all of my trainees, when they got ready to work shows, it would almost be required that they would have to go somewhere like Pro South. They run every Friday. And Steve, you know how hard it is to work to run a weekly show, but you yeah. know how easy and how fast guys pick up the business working yeah. on a constant, regular basis. Uh, but I would send all of my trainees to a place like Post Out where they can learn to work. Uh, they will learn to work the hard cam. They can experiment in a low-pressure environment because it's not Southern Honor, it's not Peach State, it's not Southern Fried, where every, like, if you may have a bad match, that could be your last booking there. Ace is, yeah. Ace is willing to give kids room to grow. And and I'll say this. I can't believe I'm fucking saying this in 2020. ProSouth has been great for Ace as a booker. He's a fucking good booker. I yeah. can't believe I'm saying that out loud, but he does it so well. And similar to how Matt Griffin does action, where 
yes, it's kind of the boys' paradise, right? They're allowed to kind of make their own matches and kind of do their own thing to an extent. But it's really somebody who's able to kind of put that in the context of a show and make it work. Um, here's, here's a hard question about Pro-South. Nobody's watching it live, really. I mean, I'm, I'm but, overstating, but you get what I'm saying, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, they've, had shows, they've, they've, had a show, they've had shows where there's been 15 people watching, right? Yes. Yes. The online thing is great. Rob Rod loves it. Larry loves it, which means it, it'll get shown more, right? I mean, more people are watching it. More people are reading about it. Is it sustainable? And if not, like, I, like I want that thing to remain. It's obviously serving a very important purpose. But I, I don't know. Is it viable? Like, I don't know any of the logistics about that. Do so, you? I, without giving with, without giving too much, because I don't know all the in, in, inner workings of Pro South, but I, I know a little bit. I, I know enough to speak intelligently. Um, okay. No, they don't get a huge crowd each and every week, but they do have a sizable online presence. Uh, and the good thing about them is that they make money when people donate online, which is why they're always pushing their, hey, watch us on YouTube, because you can donate. And instead of paying 10 bucks at the door, driving to Alabama and paying 10 bucks at the door, excuse me, you can watch online, you can donate 5, 10, 20 bucks, whatever you can say, you can donate a dollar, and that's okay, and that goes back towards the business and stuff. I think that uh, we're, we, I think the problem with, with, with and, I, and I'm, I want to be polite when I say this, Steve, but I don't want you to think I'm being rude or I'm attacking you. I think the problem with people like you who see Pro-South and you're so stuck on crowd numbers, crowd numbers, crowd numbers, yeah. you don't realize that companies like Pro-South are the same as like how Beyond first started when it was an online company. Basically. It was a YouTube company. Right. I was going to just bring up Beyond. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, and, and I yeah, think I, that I, we're going to start seeing – go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry. No, I was just just going to chime in along the lines you were saying. I think the question for them is do they monetize better by being on uh, YouTube every week or do they monetize better by running less frequently and going like with an IWTV model? But I know Ace has his reasons for wanting to run every week. So they're kind of like, you know, I think the jury's still out. Which way are they going to go on that? I think they're really pushing the YouTube channel and stuff uh, because they're really starting to get a online fan base that tunes in every week, and the people are starting to be invested in the storylines and the characters and the performers and stuff. Uh, so I don't think that that model is going to change. Do they want more people in the building? Of course they do. But let's be honest, Piedmont's not Atlanta. Piedmont's not even Canton. It's way smaller than it's smaller than Canton. It's smaller than Macon. Shit, it's smaller than Villa Rica for the most part. Um, but but it's in the middle of the nowhere. Of ta- yes, but you look at the quality of talent of guys who want to come there and work there. Yeah. It's tremendous. You, you get what I'm saying? So it's like you can't overlook yeah. them. And if, if anything, in my opinion, when you look at companies like Pro South, you have to say that they're just as needed as a Southern Honor, as a Southern Fraud, as an AWE, because this is a place where five, ten years from now, the top guys in Georgia are coming from there. Well, I mean, they're the only they're the only show that does that exposure. Yeah, go ahead. They're the they're the only show that does not list their crowd that I would even talk about. So there's that. Like you know, (laughs) yeah. I I break my own rule for them because it's like it's obvious something special and important is happening there. So I I do feel that happening. So it's definitely noticed. they're, They're celebrating their 500 show. And how many companies in Georgia can say we've ran 500 shows, you know, consistently? 
Very few. Very All right, let's go, to, let's go to something juicy. Come on, I know you got something for me. Come on, Steve. You're talking, you're talking hella shit in your Facebook video, in your YouTube video. Come on now. Quit throwing me softball questions. Who the, who the, okay. All right. On one hand, this is, uh, it's, it's less a question than a statement by me that you can refute or agree with. Um, why, why aren't the women wrestlers better? What? <laughs> Why aren't the women wrestlers better? Like, are we talking about on overall, one hand, are we talking about Georgia. I'm talking about in Georgia, because in on one sense, yes, I would say very good, but not great. And I'm wondering why I'm not getting the great vibe. Am I off base? Uh, yes. Uh, as somebody who travels a lot. Yes. Um, Tell me. Georgia wrestling. I, I tell a lot of young females when I go to West Virginia and Tennessee and up to Jersey and New York and everything, hey, you've got to come to Georgia. Uh, the women's scene in Georgia is in, in North Carolina and Georgia. I'll say the Carolinas in Georgia. It's phenomenal. Uh, I, I, don't, I think that you have such a high standard because you booked, you know, uh, Dementia DeRose versus Pandora in that cage match where they damn near killed each other. You know what I'm saying? So your standard yeah. for women's wrestling is very, very high. Uh, and this is one of the situations where you can't see the forest because of the trees. I think when mm. you look at how good um, Danny Jordan is, how good, how much uh, Brooklyn Creed has, in, has, has gotten in the last year, how good Crystal Rose and how much her stock has risen, Shalandra Royal, Cassandra Golden, uh, Aja Pereira, Dementia, uh, Kiara Hogan, Priscilla Kelly. I mean, you look at these females and you're like, how can you not say that they're not having good, solid matches? And a lot of times, I don't want to follow their matches. If, you, if you're telling me that's going to be Kiara Hogan versus Priscilla in the match, hey, put me on before them because I'm not following those chicks. Yeah. So I, I think yeah. that women's wrestling in Georgia, definitely compared to other states, is way better than what you're giving credit for. Um, what's what's better, North Carolina or South Carolina? Oh, definitely North Carolina. Oh, is there yeah, anybody in South Carolina worth a shit? Uh, they have Palmetto Championship Wrestling. Um, oh, Palmetto. I would definitely say that. I would definitely say okay. that. Ethan Case has done a great job, not only with his school, but also uh, with, with Palmetto Championship Wrestling. That They're definitely a good company to work for. And really, in my opinion, you can't consider yourself a vet unless you worked for Jay Eagle at least once and got cheated out of money by him and his wife. If you never, got, if you never worked for Jay Eagle and got fucking ripped off by his wife, uh, then you can't consider yourself a vet in the Southeast. <laughs> is is Jay Eagle still running shows? I th- I don't know. I think so. But if you've been in the big oh, Jay Eagle's still years. running shows. Absolutely, still running shows. Say, yes. if, wow. if you ever work for Jay Eagle, you can't call yourself a Southern vet. Because damn it, everybody needs to work for Jay Eagle at least once. Who you like? Who you don't like? Um, <laughs> fucking Jay Eagle. Um, all right. Uh, which state in the Southeast is the best? Overall, uh, I would yeah. say. I would say Georgia, um, but but not by much because Georgia has the same problem that North Carolina has. It has the same problem that Virginia has. It has the same problem that Florida has, is that if you don't live around the large – like in North Carolina, if you live east of Raleigh, if you don't live in the Charlotte, Greensboro, Winston-Salem area, uh, okay. they look at you as a red-headed stepchild. They, they look at 
everything east of Raleigh, the same way here in Georgia, you look at southern Georgia or you look at east Georgia, over there by Savannah and stuff. You don't look at them. You're like, oh, those are all the shit shows. Uh, but not realizing that there's some amazing talent there. Um, so the only thing that gives Georgia the edge over a North Carolina or a Tennessee is the fact that um, everybody knows everybody knows who the major players are in this state, and it's undeniable. And I, there's that word again. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But but everybody knows, and the scene here is is so uh, tight knit. Where even if you don't like somebody, you know who they are. Right. Georgia just by sight. But I feel like if North Carolina ever decides to welcome the eastern side of the state into the fold, they'll have you guys beat. Mm. Okay, finish this sentence. I wish the boys would (laughs) have fun. (laughs) You think they're not having fun? No, I think that the higher you get, the the higher in, in elevation you get, the bigger shows you work, the less it becomes fun, and the more this becomes a job, and the more politics gets into play. And when I first got into professional wrestling, I always just thought, oh, if I'm a great wrestler, I'll be rewarded, and everybody else who's great will want to work with me. And that's not the case. You're getting, no. you know, the Buddy Rogers treatment, where it's like these are all of my guys, and I'm just going to work with my guys, and the hell with everybody else. Um, I wish that guys would just have fun. People are so focused on, and don't get me wrong, winning the Georgia Wrestling Awards is a huge thing uh, because that's your peer, it's just like the Oscars. That's, your peer is saying, we took a vote, and out of all of us, you're the best technical. You're the best tag team. Um, so I'm not saying don't want to get the awards because everybody wants to get a pat on the back. But have fun. If you're not having fun doing this, and we all grew up as wrestling fans, you know, wrestling in the backyard or mattresses or trampolines or in some makeshift ring. And if you were rich enough, you actually had your own fucking ring. Um, we all got this because we wanted to have fun because we love wrestling. And somewhere along the line, all of us, we lose that love and that passion and we stop having fun. And that's it. I mean, who's, like who's having fun? Here. I mean, here, let's do this round robin style. I'll name somebody who is having fun. Just so, just so your point is exemplified even more. Because the, the few guys that are clearly having fun, I think we're going to notice a pattern. All right. Um, here's someone who's having fun. Matt Sells. Definitely. Who else is having fun? He's more fun than anybody. He's yeah. more fun than anybody. Jesus. I think the only other person who's having more fun than Matt Sells would be Shug D. Oh, yeah. Larry, who's um, having fun right now? Dynamic Dexter. Oh, yeah. Great call. Um, Simon Sermon. I think Simon Severin's having a fucking ball right now. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, wow. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, Matt Hankins and, and Matt Hankins, the undeniable Matt Hankins, Shane and Brian. They're having a great time. Yep. Larry, anybody else having a good time? Hmm. I think Ryan North at Russell America is having a good time. Almost to a fault, but yes. Um, uh, <laughs> um, Gary Lamb, that motherfucker's having the. Oh my god, is anybody getting more having more fun trolling the fucking world right now than that fucking asshole? Right. James Caleb Kitchen. 
Mm. Right. I mean, I think he's having fun unless he catches his fucking reflection in the mirror. Um, but I beyond that. So you know that show, Gary? I think I figured I figured out Gary Lamb a couple months ago. Please tell us. That Gary Lamb is not. Everybody thinks that he just wants to be number one. He wants to be number one, correct? And that's the that's the vibe he gives off. Is that I just want to be the best. Period. Right? He's just addicted to being the best. But I, I told Gary to his face. He's like, I don't think that you're addicted to being the best. I think that he's addicted to the grind and the hustle it takes to be the best. Yeah. Like once he gets to being the best, and we see that he's. Once he got, once he became like, once Southern Honor became the best wrestling show, hands down in Georgia, what did he do? Well, I think I'm gonna start a mixed martial arts league now. Like, oh, right. I'm the best in wrestling. I think I think I'll do this now. He did the same thing with barbecue. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree slightly. I think he loves winning, but I think he hates losing more. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think he he cannot stand the thought because. He used to be the most thin-skinned guy when it came to criticism. Oh, my God. If I said something even mildly, I was going to have a fucking 20-minute phone call or a fucking long-ass message or whatever, if it had anything to do with him and his. And I think it came down to it was always about controlling the narrative. Like, he just hates the thought that, of losing. And, okay, and all the great that's, ones are like that, you know? That's something on that 1,000 show. That, that 1,000 show that – and, and I will go ahead and let the castle back. I was not impressed. While I did mark out to see Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega at an indie show, I did not like the finish as well. Um, Gary I was convinced that. I talked to you, and that's why <laughs> no. I went off about it. He was convinced yeah. that I talked to you. I'm like, I didn't talk to fucking Huckabee. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I was so vocal to Gary. I was like, Gary, the show overall was not your best show. Like, he had the biggest show, and no, it, was, it felt like a regular indie show, and y'all didn't throw everything in the fence. Uh, and so I was very critical of that show to Gary's face, and he kept was like, well, we're, we're, we're in our crowd, and our crowd loved it, and all that matters is the crowd loved it. Yeah, true, but while the crowd loved it, it could have been so much more. So, wrestling fans don't know shit. Why are we pretending wrestling fans know fucking dick about dick? Like, <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> um. You're still doing your podcast, I assume. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the, your your producer of that show, he fucking hates me, huh? Why does that guy hate yes, me so does. much? Why uh, because you come off as you want the truth. Because he said you come off as an arrogant prick. Duh. You know I just send you so much to people, Stephen. Matter of fact, I was just sending you this morning. No shit, you are a platinum this fan. Is something, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is something that uh, I really wanted to talk about because I've got oh, so many questions about it. Uh, because of your criticism of, of Will Caution and Trevor Eon. Uh, and people yeah. were like, and I've got so many messages where you was like, and I'll say it up here so now everybody can hear me say it. Um, I don't have to say any more messages. Uh, everybody was like, oh, you just said Trevor wasn't shit. He doesn't understand his gimmick and da da da. And so I literally was up all night because it was, it was in my brain. Like, I was just like, you know, Steve is right. Like, me and, me and Hank is were talking about him and anarchy. And, like, and, there, and it's true. Like, there's something missing that's taking him from where he should be at in wrestling. Um, and so I called Trevor this morning, and he was heated, Steve. Super heated at you. And I was like, no, Steve is right. And as your friend, I'm going to tell you, Steve is right. You're good, but you come up, you don't want anybody saying that you're a vampire, but you do a bunch of vampire stuff. And like you just said, Steve, 
Wrestling fans are stupid. If they see you wearing all black with, like, the, the jewelry that he wears and he has the, the grill that has the fangs on it and stuff, and you call yourself the gothic gangster and the black bat, they're really going to assume that you're a vampire. So you have to erase that entire thing. To get away from being called a vampire, you've got to stop doing certain vampire shit. Um, so you're not, I, I, in my opinion, I don't feel that you were shitting on either Will Caution or Trevor Young. I think that just like Austin Towers, you laid down a gauntlet and was like, hey, I think that you could be better than what you are. Here's the challenge. Prove me wrong or prove me right. If I didn't give a fuck, if I didn't think there was anything there, I would just fucking dismiss them. Do I go on lengthy diatribes about how Chris Nelms could be great? No, because he's a sack of shit. And he's always going to be a sack of shit. Austin Towers, could you imagine somebody like racking their brain and him working with them and coming up with a gimmick where he's a fucking masked monster or something even more interesting? But Austin Towers, who gives a fuck? <laughs> Nobody. I, I think the problem, let me tell you like this. And you can talk to Judah. I think that the problem with Austin Towers, because I've worked with him, Logan Creed has worked with him, and Judah's worked with him. And we've all talked at least uh, that his biggest issue is that he has minimum amount of confidence in himself. He doesn't think that he's ready to work at the bigger indie shows. And we're like, that's bullshit. My first, the first thing I told him was, like, how tall are you? He was, like, seven feet. And I was, like, are you legit seven feet? And he said, yeah. And I was, like, walk out this building, buy you a bus ticket, go to Orlando, walk in the performance center. And they just signed an African dude who's seven feet. He doesn't know how to fucking wrestle at all. Like, at least you can run the ropes and bump. But they signed, a dude, they signed an African dude just because he was seven feet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he, I mean, the guy, <laughs> yes, please, Larry. No, I mean not to. I, I've watched you know most of those towers matches, and I, it's frustrating to me because, you know, it seems like th- that he could be more than he is. I mean, obviously could, but he's like this. He doesn't wrestle like a seven foot tall guy. No, and well, I and just that's because he was trained at WWA four, and they can't train for shit. I said it. They can't train for shit. Now, they've had guys that, like, learn to work on their own, or they had such a fucking work ethic that they were going to make it regardless of who trained them. But let's quit pretending WWA4 knows what the fuck they're doing. They don't. But people can leave there and kind of pick up tricks of the trade. But, I mean, I'll just fucking say it. That's the worst place to learn how to wrestle beyond the physical aspects of the game. Well, let's I'll just be that. honest. I've been, to, I've been to a couple of training schools here in Georgia, and I'm not going to mention anyone, so I'm just going to lump all of them together. Nobody's training anybody right. Really? Mm. I say it right now. Nobody's training anybody right. What, what, about, what about one fall? Let me just put that out there. Have I you been to one fall? one fall? I think that one fall is doing a great job of training their guys, but I think that even they are missing the boat with something. And I'll say it, oh, and please. it's not because of the – and I'm not saying it's because of the in-ring stuff, because those kids can work. It's, and we all know that wrestling is so much more. Wrestling is only 20% of what happens in the ring. The other 80% of wrestling is what happens outside of the ring. And you'll learn so much more in a car or backstage talking to a vet than you will ever learn being in the ring doing bumps and rolls and, and flips and shit. Um, and I think that with all these schools, what they're, the problem that they're doing is, and here's me sound like the grumpy old vet, but I don't care because, as I always like to say, can't nobody whoop me. Um, <laughs> the, the, 
the etiquette of professional wrestling is gone. Where when I first broke into the business, I can tell you I can tell you right now, both of you guys, I can tell all of your fans, my move set for the first year in the business. And it was a hip toss, a body slam, and a drop kick. And that's all the vets would let me do. I didn't do a suplex to somebody in the ring until I was almost a year in because the vets didn't trust me to pick them up and, 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 and land them safely. And you had to earn their respect before they allowed you to pick them up. Um, we didn't get the call spots. I, I sit in the locker room nowadays. I hear these kids calling spots. Um, and they're the, and they're the ring with veterans, guys who've been working for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're, oh, I want to do this and that, and how about we do this? And it's like, how about you sit down and shut up because you know jack shit about jack shit. Um, I don't think that any – if you're less than four years in the business, you have no business being a heel. Because it's, mm, it's, it's so – Agreed. This, agreed, you, you, agreed, you agreed. Saying, Steve? It, it, being a heel, you have to lead the match. And not only do you have to remember the spots, you have to be able to call the spots, you have to, be able to know when to shine this baby up, when to kill him, you have to know when to take it home. And, that's, and you have to be able to do all this and listen to the crowd and talk to referee and talk to your opponent. And it takes years to get good at that. It takes a long yeah. time to do that. Uh, and so I get so mad when I see these kids come in and they're immediately a heel. And I'm like, how long have you been in business? Oh, two years? You're a heel already? You don't know how to be. You barely know how to be a baby face. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that a lot of these wrestling schools are not teaching these etiquette. I, I feel like, should we beat up some? I, I feel like uh, a lot of these kids don't know what it's like to get the punch in the face. We saw the whole thing with Sean Christopher and Kevin Ryan and that whole debacle they were going through a couple months ago where they felt like, you know, they were going to get to a physical altercation with some, with some veterans and stuff. And so they, they basically snuck out the front door. I'm going to call it this. They snuck out the front door. And I'm not throwing shade to those guys because I've already talked to, talked to them personally online and stuff. Um, but the problem is, is that we forget that wrestling used to be full of outlaws and guys who couldn't be teachers and work at banks and stuff like that. And these are right. guys who are ex-football players, ex-military they were criminals, whatever the case may be. They were homeless, and they grew up in the streets, um, kind of like the late, great Rocky Johnson. They, they were wrestling grown men before they were grown men, and we've forgotten our history and our roots in professional wrestling. Uh, I think that these kids, they don't know how to actually fight, so, they, so the punches suck. They don't know how to yeah. – they've never taken a punch, so they don't know how to sell a punch. They, they want too much too soon, and they haven't earned the right – to put some, they have never earned the right for somebody to put them over or do the favor or do the job for them. Well, yeah. and when they don't look, when they don't look like they know how to fight or they don't know how to fight, then they don't look like very believable professional wrestlers. When they exactly. don't look like now, they don't I know that some, I know somebody, I know somebody listening right now. That, what about Gunnar Miller? What about Odinson? Well, they're the exception that proves the fucking rule. <laughs> like, unless you look like Gunnar, your first day out. Because to quote Jim Cornette. Gunner and Olderson shouldn't be taking arm drags in the second match. Like, either they're at the top of the card or they're not on the card, period. You get what I'm saying? But if you yeah. don't look like them, then, yeah, your first year, your first two years, you should just be learning. You should just nonstop putting guys – you should just be putting guys over. And, and that's a so, big thing of that. And I'm going to – go ahead. No, so let me ask you, like, a, a more standard interview question that I've been curious about. You know, when did – how many – how many years in were you when you began feeling like, you know, you really knew what you were doing? Not that you stopped learning because obviously you've continued to learn and learn, but when you felt like you knew what the hell you were doing? Uh, I was like eight, nine years before it clicked. In the middle of a match, all of a sudden I was just, I locked up with a guy and I was like, oh, 
I know what I'm doing. This is a piece of cake. And I think that was the first match where I took less than, like, five bumps in the match. I think I took, like, three bumps in that match. Uh-huh. And afterwards, I was uh-huh. like, oh, man, I know what I'm doing. I know how to actually work now. Like, this is what everybody's been talking about. I didn't – I'm trying to think when I, did I feel like I knew what I was doing. I didn't feel like I, was, I knew what I was doing until I was sort of the de facto trainer in Colorado. Once, like, I had to take over the school that was there for the main promotion I worked for, um, it, it is true when you fucking teach, you learn twice. <laughs> you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, fuck, I'm responsible. It's kind of like I never flossed my teeth so much as when I finally had kids, right? Because it was just like, <laughs> ah, fuck, I'm going I'm to have these little fucking assholes fucking flossing their teeth. I can't, you know, and same with, like, I'm training the guy. And it's funny because then once I started training in Atlanta, I mean, I became much more the straight arrow guy. My career was nothing. Like, I mean, I did blood shows, you know. I, like, fell on barbed wire and fucking tacks and fell off a balcony. It's like, that's most of the shit I did in the latter part of my active career. Stuff I would never let the wrestlers do. You know, like, no, well, I, think, I think that... I think that now, although, you know, Steve, you might have said that uh, I'm at the, the apex of my career, I think that in the last six months, I've been having the best matches of my career. Uh, yeah, A, because easy. I'm having fun. A, because I'm having fun. Uh, B, because I've learned not to take myself serious. And I think I've lost more matches in the last six months than I ever have in 14 years. <laughs> um, but that's fine because it's not about winning or losing. It's how you lose. And it's having fun and, and creating moments. Uh, like, I feel like, and, I, and until somebody proves me wrong, uh, the match of the year will still be me and Joe in the dog collar match until somebody proves me wrong. And I'm not saying that they have to do a stunt that's way crazier than taking a, a suplex to a windshield, but you have to evoke that much emotion from the fans. Well, no, we talked about it afterwards, and I just said, well, it's not going to be beaten. Like, you can look at that and go, that's the best until somebody does better and you know, no one's going to do better. And just like with my YouTube thing, like people are like, Oh, you know, Rob Rod's having a, and I, and this, and I'm glad he's got it. Cause I think we do different things, but more than that, it's like, good luck doing a fucking YouTube thing. Like I do it. Because you are always asking questions and stuff. Why do both of you fight so hard for Georgia wrestling? When Larry, it you like most of the time, why, when it seems yeah. like most of you guys don't give a shit, why are you two guys waving a banner for Georgia wrestling and fighting so hard? I don't. I know why I do. I have no idea why Larry does. If I'm being honest, I don't know. Larry, I gotta hear it. Well, you know, it's funny. I. I... Now I fight for Georgia wrestling. When I started writing, most all my, you know, all my writing was all about Tennessee wrestling. I didn't write about Georgia wrestling. It's more that just happened to be where I'm based and where I have access to shows. If I was in Florida, I'd be fighting for Florida wrestling. So, um, you know, that's I I just enjoy um, writing about it. And if something that I write helps somebody get to the next level or they get something out of it that helps their career, wonderful. 
Steve? I hate losing. And <laughs> I feel like my work in Georgia was not close to finished. God, I've never even thought about this. Fuck your question, right? First of all. <laughs> so, <clears throat> fuck, now I'm going to fucking soul search. So, I left Georgia because my at the time wife got it in her head to give up her fucking dream job. She's the head puppeteer at the Center for Puppetry Arts, the biggest puppet theater in the fucking world. And she's the head puppeteer. Okay. No doubt in line to, you know, right now they just, their, their artistic director of the whole fucking theater just stepped down. And the first thing I thought was, Julie would probably have been the artistic director or she would have been the assistant artistic director mm. if we had stayed. But she got it in her head because her parents got in her head. You need to have a real job. And so she, she took a teaching job in Florida and with the safety net of her parents here. And so that's why we picked up and moved here. And it was fucking a terrible idea. And I didn't in any way, shape, or form feel like I was done in Georgia. I felt like we just hit our stride. Like Sacred Ground 3, which was the kind of beginning of the end for me, I was just like, fuck, we finally are doing it right. (laughs) I'm fucking leaving. You know, like the school is better than it's ever been because now the generation before was helping me train. So, you know, the Jeters and all those guys and the Shane Marxes were now going to be able to bring the new guys along. And I was gone. And I did it the way that I do everything else in my life. Like, all right, if I'm going to commit to go to, you know, so for a while I would go back and forth. And then at one point I just went like, I don't even fucking like watching wrestling anymore. And fuck wrestling, period. (laughs) And it's like, I'm going to get on with my life and, but then, you know, the divorce happened. And I, I, frankly, I needed another form of income. And I was just like, and my kid was like, Dad, you know what YouTube is? And I was like, what's YouTube? And she goes, people like you, only younger. But people <laughs> who have no problem telling people what's up and have no, and she goes, you have act, she goes, you have the tools. She's like, you have the desire to teach, the love of pissing people off, and access, endless access to information of what you're talking about. She goes, everybody still talks to you. Everybody still tells you everything. And she goes, and it's perfect. And she goes, you don't care about talking on a camera. You, for you, that's the easiest thing in the world. She's like, my problem is going to be keeping your videos below an hour. How right was she? Right. And so, so it's like, and then I started feeling it. And then it, strangely, it was the Priscilla Kelly thing where, you know, everybody was coming down on her. Oh, she did this tampon spot. And I'm just like, one, it was obviously Shakespeare, right? She did not pull bloody tampon out of her well-used snatch. Right. Like that's one thing. And then the other part was like, it's a fucking bar show. Why are we pretending a bar show is a show? It's not. And so then I made that video and she got in touch with me and like, thank you for doing it. And then uh, off of that video, people were like, 
Oh, shit. Now it's, it's fucking kind of cool you're doing a video. And then last year's speeches happened. And, you know, I listened to those speeches, and some were good and some were shit. <clears throat> and then so I was like, well, let me put a list together. People love lists. And I put that thing up. And the response from the list and that show and the two things went back and forth. There's people who watched my video about the list and then went and listened to the show that never listened to Tipping Point. And then there were people on Tipping Point who wanted to see the list. And my kid went, Dad, that's all this is. I'm like, oh, all I have to do is just talk shit. And, and she goes, yeah, and you can teach. And she goes, not, and she was so right. She's like, people are not going to watch your teaching videos as much as they're going to watch you saying Eric Nelson's a moron. But she goes, the right, and she's so smart. She goes, she, she's like, it might only be 100, but it'll be the right 100, Dad. And I went, she's scary <sighs> smart. She's, too, she's so smart, I'm going to have a paternity test. It's kind so, of bothering. Here's, 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 here's something else I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, here's something else I wanted to talk about was my top five or ten, or the top five or ten wrestlers that we think is great, but they're not as great as they will be. Case okay. in point. Case in point. AC Mack is good. AC Mack in 2020 is nowhere near as good as AC Mack will be in 2030. I think that in 10 years, AC Mack will look at all the stuff he's done so far and he'll realize it's the drizzling shit. And I think he's going to be around in 10 years. I'll say that too. I think he'll be around in 10 years. I I think, I want to say like this, my top five Georgia wrestlers who everybody's giving praise to uh, that I just don't think have lived up to their full potential um, would be, I think AC Mack is number one of the top five guys who are good, but nowhere near as good as they can or will be. And, and the reason why I'm saying this list is because a long time ago, a friend of mine told me the same thing. He was like, you're good, but you're nowhere near as good as you will be if you stick around for 10 years. You, so you got to put, huh? put Griff Garrison on that list. Oh, definitely. Mm. I think Griff... But but the thing is that Griff Garrison doesn't think he's, he he doesn't have the swagger that AC Mac has. No, no. And that's the, that's, I, that's the difference. I can't wait till he cuts the apron strings with you know who. Who with Marcus? And with Bill Barron. Oh. I mean, and, and I don't mean Bill's a bad person. I mean. Right now, he needs Bill Barons, right? He needs Bill Barons to give him the confidence, to give him the connections. I'm curious once he's really running on his own, whether it's at Ring of Honor or elsewhere. And Bill can still be there to guide him, but at that point, he has to do it. I, I can't I wait that, to see what he becomes. I, I think that what we're, what the, the same thing with Griff and with AC Mack. And David Ali, um, I'm trying to think who else, uh, Alan Angels, and, and a lot of these other younger, really good talents. The problem with them is they, ha- they don't work shit shows, and that's their biggest fault. And I know everybody right now who's listening is like, well, they shouldn't be working shit shows. And yes, they should. Um, 
you need to work shit shows because that teaches you how to be a ring general. When you're working some, when you're working that twenty year vet who only works one show a month, but he comes in like I've been doing this shit for twenty years. So you're only <laughs> doing it for that one show, and you don't know what I'm talking about Steve Larry. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about that guy. I hate them all. Um, yes. But when you you don't really start cutting your teeth in this business until you start working those guys on those kind of shows, and it teaches you how to be a ring a ring general and how to call a match and how to save a match when that spot gets inevitably blown. When they blow that one spot that's like was the centerpiece of the match, and they blow it because they they're blown up and they can't do the spot, or they just forgot, or they're just not they just don't have the talent to do the shit they called in the back. Um, those guys, Allen Angels and AC Mack and Griff, um, and even David Ali, like they need to work these shit shows to teach themselves how to be ring generals. I remember. <clears throat> And I would argue that this is what made Davy Richards Davy Richards is at one point he wanted to venture out. And so he would do these shit shows. He would get booked in Tennessee and he had a tag team partner at the time. And so he was like, would you come? And part of my training was fuck. Yeah. I'm going to teach you how to road trip. I'll drive. <laughs> so I would drive these guys and I would teach them how to hustle money along the way, not by sucking dick, but you know, like <laughs> how to save, how to save money, how to have yeah. fun for free. Just, just the whole experience of it. Right. And then, you know, I, I went to the show and, and, um, and he was just like, I told him you were my manager. I just feel better if you were there at ringside. And I said, sure. And I'm like, I'm going to create a character on the spot and I'm going to show you how much it'll get over. And then they're like, they want us to go under. And I'm like, great. We're going to go under, but see if they, we can ask them if we can get our heat back. And they said, okay. And so they lost the match to these two fucking redneck fat ass podunks. Right. Davey fucking Richards, the guy who would be called the greatest wrestler in the world and all that other horseshit, has a job these fucking fucking scrubs. But afterwards, they let him, you know, attack him from behind and put him on the ground. And then I was like, pick him up. And then I bought a disposable camera to show how long ago this was. And then I took all these pictures posing with them with a disposable camera of them being strung up like fucking scarecrows. And then, then they said, and then the tag champions came out and challenged them, which makes no sense. We just lost, right? And they, and they came out and challenged us. And then, so then I, then I fucking took the mic and I cut this fucking fire and brimstone promo, you know, this is what's going to happen. We're going to come back here, take those titles, burn this building to the ground. And I'm like, and then I pointed to this toothless old lady, get that bitch some teeth. And, I'm like, and, we'll, and then we'll have our revenge. And then we walked out and everybody was just like fucking rioting. I mean, they're going nuts, right? They're trying to get at me and all this kind of shit. And then I was like, oh, and then I had the pictures blown up. And then uh, <laughs> I mailed them to the place. So they could put the pictures up and say it was from us because we were going to have to miss the next show and blah, blah, blah. And he just went, my God, that was so much, right? We learned so much and it was so awesome. And I'm like, everybody should be doing this. And so it just takes mm -hmm. you apart. It's like having to make something great out of something that's inevitably awful is I don't know if anybody has that skill in the bigs. That's my main gripe, honestly, with NXT. You're going to have guys that have never had – paying dues isn't just putting up a fucking ring. 
paying not. dues is having to make something palpable and palatable out of something completely distasteful. Um, having to make something work. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, I, of course I still make fun of AC Mac for doing stranglehold, but there are shows that you can do that are, I mean, just not one of the bigs and it's okay. You know, like that GIPW show, the thirsty turtle, like I see names pop up on that thing and I'm like, you know what? Good for them. <laughs> but, but, that's what, yeah. but, but like, and that's the thing is that you know, ten, fifteen years ago, we were telling guys, "Hey, get as much, like it's all about getting ring time. Your first five years in the business is just about getting in the ring. It's just about learning and getting the ring and learning how to call a match and the fly and all these other things." And some, and somewhere along the line, within the last ten years, the 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 the, 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 the speech has shifted to where it's don't do these horrible shit shows. You should only do quality shows. It's like now we've done these young kids such a great disservice because they don't know how to call it in the back. They don't know how to call it in the rain. They don't know how to cover blown spots. When a spot gets blown, they stand over the deer in the headlights, but they're like, uh. And one of the things that I hate, and if, it's, if, it's, if I have a pet peeve in wrestling, and I, I have several, but one of my biggest pet peeves in wrestling is for somebody to say, this guy is a top guy but he only works other top guys. Um, if you're John Schuyler and you're only working top quality guys that bring it in, if you're only working Anthony Henry and J and JD Drake and Sandy Callahan and Eddie Edwards, of course you're going to have great fucking matches. But can you work this kid who's been working for six months who's at the bottom of the card and you might not have the best match, but can you have a solid match? And can you just say, hey, kids, what's your best two moves? Oh, is that, you have a drop kick and you got a suplex? Okay, well, we can make it work. Can you run the ropes? Can you bump? All right, cool. Just listen to me and we'll have fun. I don't know how mm-hmm. many times I'm in the ring with, and people assume because of my persona, that when I get in the ring with these young kids, I'm just going to beat the shit out of them. I'm just going to eat them up and spit them out. And after them, and, and a lot of times, these kids are super nervous. Case in point, I worked with VCWGA, uh, Dowson Franklin. Um, and I had to work this dude named Joey Corbin, and everybody was like, oh, God, this dude, Joey Corbin, he's the shit, and he, he, his cardio is bad, and he doesn't know how to work. And I'm just like, I get down there, and he was nervous as shit. See? And I'm like, hey, what can you do well? What are your two best moves? And it turns out he's like a Kenny Omega mark. So he wanted to do like the V-trigger, and he thought he was going to do the one-wing angel to me, and I'm like, that shit's not happening, kid. But we can do the <laughs> um, but, but everybody just assumed that I was going to eat this guy up. And I put together the match. And I was like, just, we'll do this spot. We'll do that. And everything else, just listen to me. And after the match, he was like, man, that was so easy. And I'm like, are you blown up? No, you shouldn't be. If somebody's blowing you up, they're a dick. Or you need to get in shape. Like, as a, as a jet, my job is to pull a great match out of you. And I think that oh, a huge disservice to these young kids because they were not allowing them to, to gain the skills of working with somebody who's not as good as them and pulling a great match out of them. I think that Joe Black, when I first met Joe, and we all know Joe Black's a phenomenal wrestler, and what Joe would always do is that instead of bringing somebody up, Joe would just wrestle down to their level. And I'm like, no, Joe, you have to learn how to bring a guy up to right below where you are. Like, he might not be at your level, but you bring him up to one level below you, 
and you show them this is how you work. And I think that we do a huge disservice to these young kids because they don't have this skill. You remind me of yeah, something like, that pisses me off, and I haven't spoken of it. And I'm sorry, Larry. I just Go ahead. You know there's that go video ahead. going around of the one guy who would get untrained dudes in the ring who thought they knew how to wrestle, and then it was just a series of shots of him, like, drop-kicking him in the face as hard as he could, yes. and kicking him in the yes, face. Video. Yes, and, yes. and a number of prominent people, including Logan Creed and a bunch of others, were like, this is great. And I remember thinking, like, fuck, man. This is fucking bullshit. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, a guy's trusting you with his body, and you're just fucking kicking him in the face, and, and proving what? The, the one thing I'll say about myself, to put myself over, nobody was better at wrestling people that did not know how to wrestle and making it look like they knew how to wrestle than me. I did it for years in the brawl show. I did it all over the place. And, uh, and people who I literally fucking like wrestling a broomstick. And I got good at it because I had to, because that's what I had to do to get gigs sometimes. So it's like, here's the promoter's son whose dream it is to get in the wrestling ring. And I wasn't going to have any of the other boys do it. So I'm like, I'll fucking wrestle this kid. Well, <laughs> you I, know? I think, and it's like, I think that one of the best compliments that was given to me is that the, it, it was like a three, maybe a month-long stretch of me working at Pro South. And Larry was doing reviews on Pro South. And every week Larry was like, my, he would review my match. He's like, oh, my God, this match is so good. I think it was a match with me and Trevor. And, uh, and I really crowed about it all weekend, too. So thank you, Larry. When it was like a Friday show, and Larry was like, if there's a better match this weekend, then show me because I don't believe you. And, and, I think that, and I think that having that skill of being able to put a guy over and make him look better than he's ever looked before is something that is solely needed. And I think that not even a young guy, this is on the vets, because most of these vets around here don't know how to do that. You show me. Mm-hmm. You show yeah, me I, you know, I, I think that's ahead, the, real, the, the really good ones can, can, can do that like you. And now Joe has done that over it. I, well, the, one, the match that comes to mind with that with Joe Black is Sean Legacy. He did exactly what you yeah. said. He brought Sean up just just below where he is, and they had a great match. But it was it was Joe's made the match. I love seeing that. The one thing I I would take the other side of about guys like uh, the younger guys working the um, shit shows is, yeah, they can learn how to get better matches out of subpar guys, but how much does that really help them working, you know, subpar guys on a, on a shit show? Other than that. Uh- because when it comes down to, and you can be working with somebody who's a, a, on a on a good show, like you're working at Southern Honor, and something happens, that guy tweaks his knee, or a guy gets seriously hurt or something, and you have to be able to and you have to be able to take the match home in 30 seconds. Or for instance, in the state of Virginia, uh, it's a no blood state, so if somebody starts bleeding, whether it's like from a head wound or they have a busted lip, you have three moves of 30 seconds, and that's a skill set that you have to have to know how can I take this match home in 30 seconds and make it believable and still either keep my shine or keep my heat and, and keep the fans compelled to it. Uh, and, and, and with that also, Larry, you have to remember, I think this is something Steve will know because he's been the ring, is that teaches you ring awareness. When you work at these guys and you're the shit show and they don't know what the hell they're doing, it teaches you ring awareness and where you're at in the ring and, what, and it teaches you how to listen to the crowd. Of, okay, mm-hmm. okay, well, it's time for you to die, kids. Okay, it's time to bring them up. Okay, let's take it home now. There, There is another option, I think, where Larry will feel more comfortable, and here it is. 
The good news is it existed. The bad news is it doesn't exist anymore. And that was Platinum Championship Wrestling. Well, because, no, you have both out. You have both because, well, because, I mean, because, but PCW is based around a school. So there are yeah. always guys getting thrown into the sh- show that under old school thinking had no business being there. Me, but I, I would say I was one of those guys. <laughs> right, and, but but I had confidence in the guys that did know what they were doing that they would figure it out. And I mean, and, and how many people could probably honestly say Shane Marks was my best match my first year? You know, <laughs> and he learned yeah. he learned more as much or more wrestling Johnny Danger when Johnny Danger didn't know his fucking asshole from a hole in the ground. Then from wrestling Fred Yehi, you know, because again, watch, I learned more watching wrestling the Washington Bullets our first time there. Than I had ever learned my first like six years in the business. And, and because those guys were just drilled, I mean, I they they were a tag team from the beginning, and I taught them every tag team trick I knew and made them drill. They hated my guts because it was just like, no, you're not. You know, we're gonna get down this like, take the referee make the false tag, switch in and out. You know, it's got to be perfect. And I would make them do that bit again and again and again. But it's because you have to be able to, you have to understand how wrestling works. I think there's the, that's why I'm, I'm not a fan of most of the training schools. I'm not sure they're teaching guys. They're teaching them how to wrestle great, but not to be great wrestlers. Mm. That, that, that's yes, my that's it right there. That that's it right there, Steve. I think that you hit the nail on the head. Is that they're teaching them how to be great wrestlers. They're teaching them how to wrestle, but not how to be great wrestlers. That and and part things. of that is thinking, and part of that is the room to make mistakes and to fix mistakes, which is ultimately what we're talking about. Well, when you work weird... honor, when, when you yeah. work Southern honor, there's 600 people in the crowd. That pressure, especially when you're, I could imagine being Kevin Ryan. On that, you know what I'm saying, or being Alan Angels on that show, knowing that there's a, over a thousand people in the crowd, and I had to do this spot with Kenny Omega and and Chris Jericho. Like, if that had been me, I would have been throwing up in the back nonstop. Like, there's no way I could have made it through that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like oh. it was almost unfair for Dylan and, and, and for Dylan to put him in that position because, and there's no knock against Alan Angels. I think that he's, I think that he's a great young talent. Um, I don't. I don't think that he's the greatest in in the state, and I don't think that he'll be. My, he will mind me saying that I don't think he's the greatest in the state, and I don't think that he'll be the greatest wrestler right now in the roster that he's on. But I feel like it was unfair to put him in that position and to to make him carry that segment. Yeah, and ultimately it it led to. I mean, it didn't work, right? As much as Gary and Dylan were like. No, we're gonna rebuild, rebuild him bigger than ever. I'm not talking about the after effects. I'm talking right. about the mentality of being a pro wrestler and being great. Because we, me, and you, and, and Larry. Once again, I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say this, Larry. So please don't think I'm, I'm pushing you out of conversation. Um, no, no, not at but, all. But see, me and you have both been green. And think about the first big name that you worked. For me, it was C.W. Anderson. And the first time I had to work C.W. Anderson, I, when I got to the building, I thought I was working with a friend of mine. And then I got to the building, and they're like, no, you're working C.W. Because the vet was like, no, Will, it's time to see, it's time for you to sink or swim. And now, now it's the time, now this is the point in your career we're going to see if you have what it takes to be an actual wrestler. 
And when I found out I had to work C.W. Anderson, I literally immediately walked outside and threw up. And then I called my wife. And then I threw up two more times. And I called my wife mm-hmm. again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and so I couldn't imagine. And I was just working C.W. Anderson. And, no, and that's no knock against him. But I couldn't imagine having to be in a segment with was arguably the greatest wrestler in the world at that time and the hottest wrestler at the time who had just done the Tokyo Dome. Like, there was no way. I was going to say, yeah, there was a time where he was a fucking adored. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, there's no way I could have been in that segment with them and not fucked it up. And I feel like putting that pressure on Alan Angels in such a young career was unfair. And, you know, even Dylan having to book that show, I mean, he learned a ton from it, and he became the booker he is now because of it. But he wasn't ready to book that show. I I remember like, I'm like, that's what they got out of the Cody Rhodes segment. I was just like, man, I would have got that shit over. And then somebody asked me like, well, would you would you have done? I'm like, I would have like, you know, been there with Dylan and Cody Rhodes. I would just let it be what it was, which was a markout moment. And then when his mom went down to pin Cody Rhodes, I would have had Alan Angels come up and kick her in the fucking head, cover Cody Rhodes, and take the pin himself and roll out. Now you can well, do whatever I, you want to him and after that show is done, and it wouldn't have mattered. Because he's like, I'm, I'm the last guy to pin Cody Rhodes in the Indies. <laughs> and well, he kicked see, I, fucking I sunny the, days in the I, head. I have the, you know? I, have the, I have the exact opposite view. I think that that was the show that Dylan needed to book. Because we realized that after he booked that Southern Honor 1000 show, he had that confidence that all great bookers need confidence. He had that confidence that, that great bookers like you and Todd Sexton have, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, okay, I'm good now. Like, I know I've been at the high, now it's, now I'm good now. And I think that that was the, the booking that Dylan needed. And if it wouldn't have been for that show, the rest of the year that Southern Other had would not have been as good. But without that show, Dylan would not be as great a booker as he is now. Hawk, who do you fucking respect in Georgia wrestling? Like, I want—I I just want you to clear your head for a second before you answer, just to see if a surprise pops up. Who do you respect? As far as wrestling acumen or wrestling ability? Whatever. Uh, we'll go with wrestling acumen first. We'll go with wrestling acumen first. Uh, it's, I don't think it's any secret that I respect the shit out of Matt Hankins. Mm. Um, I respect the shit out of uh, Todd Sexton, out of Rick Michaels, out of Bill Barron, uh, Shane Marks. Um, I've only met him. I've only been in the locker room with him one time, but just being around him, I respect the shit out of Kyle Matthews uh, because to me, Kyle Matthews carries himself like a star. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, the consum- consummate pro, you know, just like – yeah. Um, yeah, as far as, like, if I had to take advice from people, people that I would throw stuff, ideas to as far as a soundboard, uh, it would be those guys. And, 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 and Joe Black. You know, I respect the shot of Joe Black. Um, just because he, he looked at things the way I do, but he looked at them from the different, from the other side of the track. Um, as far as rest, oh, and Gary Lamb. I respect Gary Lamb because I've always been a huge proponent that if you're a wrestling promoter, that's what the fuck you do. You are a promoter. Mm-hmm. You promote, and when it comes down to promoting, I, no offense, I don't care if anybody else gets offended. Nobody's better at promoting. 
Nobody's thing close. Jerry Lamb. <laughs> um, no. That's for sure. I, I think that if we didn't have a Gary Lamb, Georgia wrestling wouldn't be as good as it is now. Without like mm-hmm. Gary Lamb made Georgia wrestling better. Single-handedly, like Lawrence Taylor. He's the Lawrence Taylor of Georgia wrestling. Like he is completely like. Remember when Lawrence Taylor came into the NFL and they had to change the way they had they did offenses. Yeah. They had to change the way they had to change the way like right and left like right and left guards played. Like that's Gary Lamb. Like Gary Lamb came into the business and he completely changed the way people promoted and the way people put together shows and stuff. Like Gary Lamb is definitely, and I hope he's listening because he's definitely Georgia wrestling's Lawrence Taylor. Um, as far as in the ring goes, who I respect, uh, I think this is going to surprise you. Um, I really, really respect. Adrian Hawkins. Oh, okay. Um, I've, I've watched him at Anarchy, and, man, he gets the most out of everything that, that they give him at that company. Amen to um, that. I, I think that he – kind of how you would describe me as somebody who takes so little and does so much, he is definitely it. Uh, I'm trying to think of people out of the way um, besides the usual suspects that I respect. Uh, I respect Jeter because Jeter has really stepped up. And a lot of people don't know this, so I'm going to let the castle bag, uh, that Jeter is Jeter is somebody you need to have in your locker room because he is a coach. Like, I could see Jeter in 10 years right now at the Performance Center coaching young wrestlers um, because he's stern when he has to be and he'll, ch- he'll cut you out when he needs to. But at the same time, if you just need a soft – if you need to be spoken to very softly and soft-spoken – Jeter is the guy that can do it. Uh, we call him Coach Jeter. Um, I think Ace Haven is great. Uh, so I think in ring. Um, I think Logan Creed. I respect Logan Creed because Logan Creed is not the most athletic person in the world. But he knows that and he works accordingly. Um, he's, um, he's a rare combination in pro wrestling, which is I think he's fearless and crafty. Mm-hmm. And usually you don't get one with the other. I think but that he's this crafty. One... I think I think he's playing the chess game as Cody Rhodes is the best at the national level at playing the game. I think Logan Creed is the best in the state of Georgia at playing the game. I think the next person is going to surprise everybody. Uh I think besides myself and the usual suspects, the sleeper in Georgia is Marcus Cross. He might be one of the toughest mm. guys in Georgia. Hands mm. down. Marcus Cross, like everybody, because he's, because he's, he's starting to get the reputation as Griff Garrison's tag partner. He's starting to become the Robert Gibson to, to Griff Garrison's Ricky Morton. And people don't realize, like, that little dude is legitly tough as a $2 steak. Like, he's a legit nice, martial artist. He's a legit martial artist. I've been in two, like, knockout, drag-out street fights with this kid, and I've beaten the piss out of him. I mean, beaten the shit out of him, and he kept coming back for more. Um, and he has a great attitude. Uh, he comes from he, – he's trained by Cozone, LeBron Cozone, their fire software wrestling in Greensboro. Uh, and I don't think that Cozone gets enough credit for training guys. Like, he trained Griff and Marcus and Cam Carter – uh, Sandy Moss and TGA Moss and a lot of these other guys and stuff. But Marcus Cross may be, out of all the young talent in the, in the state of Georgia, and I'm saying young like five years and below, Marcus Cross may be the toughest 
green kids in the state of Georgia, hands down. All right. I know we got to end this soon, so I want to do this. I'm just going to do rapid fire, meaning I'm going to throw a wrestling notable out there and either have a one-word response or (laughs) or a quick one-sentence phrase. So I'll say the name, and then Huck, you go first. Larry, you go second. I'll go third, and then I'll throw out another name. Make sense? All right. Yes. Cool. Um, Here we go. Corey Hollis. Waste of talent. Corey (laughs) Hollis could be so much. Corey Hollis. No no explanations. You just got to let it go. The waste of talent. Larry. Not having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, unsecured brilliance. Hmm. Uh, next name. Uh, Marco Stunt. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. Can't I love him? Just you just have to love him. Undeserving. Um, <laughs> Jim Cornette uh, should be put out the stable. Brilliant, but and it's a shame what's going on with him. If he could attain a kind of enlightenment, he could help save wrestling. Mm. Um, um, Southern Fried Southern Honor's little brother Until this year Until April 4th uh, On the comeback trail mm. Stay in their lane um, Action Wrestling over fucking rated. <laughs> In all caps, over fucking rated. Wow. And if anybody disagrees with that, hit me up. Hit me up in my DMs and not explain that. <laughs> well, I dis I disagree. Uh, great, uh, <laughs> best atmosphere. The building itself, best atmosphere. The yin, the yin to Southern Honors Yang. Um, huh. um, mm. Category that should exist for the Georgia Wrestling History Awards. That should or shouldn't? Should. Oh, that does, that's not right now? Correct. Match of I the should year. have been more clear. Match of the year. Ooh, Larry. Rookie of the year. Promo yeah. of the year. Um, I am completely in love with Ashton Starr. Mm. That's a great answer. It's a great he can do answer. no wrong in my eyes. He can do no wrong in my eyes. <laughs> Fuck y'all. Um, 
the ambiance at AWE. Oh, look at this motherfucker. Clever answer. Um, completely in love with the idea of what Georgia wrestling could be by the end of the year. Mm. Last one. Last one. Um, What's written on your wrestling tombstone? (laughs) What would you want written on your wrestling tombstone? Oh, geez. Yeah, and we can all take a second on this one. Take a second, Huck, to think about it, and I'm going to talk about the next tipping point. I've got mine. Okay, okay. Let me me just do, because I have a feeling you guys are going to close it out so strong. So in two weeks, we've um, we've got the state of wrestling speeches. Two minutes or less, get in contact with Larry. Get in there. We want to see the biggest names. We want to see the newest names. We want to see people whose voices we don't hear very much. Get it into Larry in two weeks. That's what we're going to do. What do you want on your wrestling tombstone? By the way, thank you so much, Huckabee. This has been fucking amazing. Fucking love the show. Thank you. Um, thank, you Larry, and, thank you, and Larry, sign me up for the, for the Georgia Wrestling, the Save Georgia Wrestling Talk. Uh, on my tombstone, it will be Finished better than he started, gave back more than he took. Mm, God, fuck, mine's not going to be better than that. <laughs> Larry. Oh, so I'm afraid mine is along the similar lines. Hopefully left it better than where he came, when he came in. Mm. Mine, you're fucking welcome. <laughs> of course. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Stepping point. Special thank you to William Huckabee. Check out his Windsor podcast. Happen. Let's put that shit over because it's amazing. Oh, uh, check me out each and every week on the Wrestling Nerdcast and the Angry Mark Podcast Network, myself and Nika Villas, where we talk to all of our amazing friends in the world of professional wrestling. Yes, sir. Thank you to William Huckabee. Thank you to Larry Goodman. Larry, I hope I hope you had a little fun. I know you were kind of down in the dumps about stuff, but uh, it was great to have you on, as always. And uh, I'm Stephen Platinum, and thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in two weeks on The Tipping Point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.